Thanks for joining us for this episode of Coffee with Closers, where business leaders share insights on how to build businesses from the ground up and best practices for innovating in their industry. Hey, Vincenzo, thank you so much for joining me for the, this episode of Coffee with Closer. Yeah, thank you for having me. Most certainly, most certainly. So obviously for the audience that may not have heard of you, can you share a little bit about who you are? Yeah, um, so I'm a, uh, essentially an expat tax CPA, right? So we do taxes and we have a specific niche, a specific focus on um, Americans abroad and then also uh, foreigners that uh, are investing in the United States, that have startups in the U.S., uh, so on and so forth. Makes sense. And uh, and so th- this company, I, I saw that you founded back in 2005. So you've been at it for quite some time now. Yeah. Yeah. No, listen, I mean, I'll tell you the story. I, um, uh, you know, back in, uh, I mean, so 2005 to 2010, I was sort of living in New York, right? Sort of that, that post-college, you know, New York rat race, you know, working in the corporate world. Uh, I worked at, at Coopers for a few years. And then even I worked at a private equity job doing sort of, you know, front office deals, finance, et cetera, right? You know, that whole time, I always had this sort of entrepreneurial spirit within me. And so, you know, I remember like the first year I was at PwC, it was like they gave you a free um, edition of TurboTax, right? I was like, okay, cool. Like I have this, this software. And so I started just doing taxes for friends and family and you know, acquaintances or whatnot. It was a little bit of like a side hustle, you know, not not a lot of money, um, but, you know, it's wintertime in New York anyway, so there's not really a lot to do. So I was just sort of doing taxes, working, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. Then, um, uh, you know, things really started to get bad, obviously, you know, in, around 2008. I was still working uh, at that point for a private equity firm, and things were going okay. I mean, we weren't, um, you know, I, was, I didn't lose my job, but... Um, you know, things weren't, we weren't, we, we had problems fundraising, et cetera, right? And so then around 2010, um, you know, my bosses were left. Things really just started unraveling at this fund. And uh, I essentially left the country, right? I mean, I, I left my job. And then when you leave your job and you sort of have this epiphany, you know, it's like, all right, let me just go down Argentina, right? So I went down Argentina because I always wanted to learn Spanish um, and sort of always had this dream of living abroad you know, that like eat, pray, love moment, if you will, and uh, go down to Argentina and, and, you know, just start learning Spanish. I mean, I had no real um, plan at that point. Um, you know, I had a little bit of savings and, you know, they'd given me like a little bit of a, they gave me actually unemployment. They, they I got sort of screwed over on some bonuses, but they gave me unemployment, even though technically I didn't get laid off. But, you know, basically you're, you're down there and I'm just sort of living paycheck to paycheck, just, you know, basically penniless. And um, and this is when I saw the vision for expat taxes, right? Because I'm in Argentina. I see all these expats that have no idea what they're going to do. And I had some tax background. And that's when the, the idea for online tax man sort of came up. Um, you know, built a website down there with a developer and uh, just started doing Google AdWords, right? And, um, you know, basically had random people that would come to the website and, and need their taxes done completely online. And uh, without, uh, yeah, I mean, just based on the conversation we had. So that's when the idea was born that, you know, this actually, this idea has legs. Um, You know, people living outside the United States that don't have, you know, access to U.S. CPAs, et cetera, um, need this service. And that's when 
you know, it's just started growing. Right. And that's when mm-hmm. it, it starts snowballing. Um, a few years later, I brought a business partner in an old friend of mine from university in Michigan um, to sort of help grow the business. And since then we've, we've grown it. We have uh, like 15 employees and everyone's remote and, you know, we've really sort of also, you know, carved out a really good niche for ourselves within the uh, expat tax market and international taxation structuring, et cetera. So it's been it's been a wild ride, honestly, but it's been super exciting. That's that's a crazy story right there. There's a there's a lot of things that I want to unpack. So essentially, the, the main thing is you, you saw an opportunity. <clears throat> essentially, you saw there's a trend in terms of U.S. born citizens that are living abroad and then obviously yeah. working from there and, and then making income in U.S. dollars. Uh, and then yeah. we all know about this nomad uh, phenomena. There's a lot of people that are moving overseas and, and living there. So do you see yeah. a lot of people that are just working freelance or are you even seeing corporations with founders that are U.S. born founders that are living abroad and running U.S. corporation? Are you seeing that to be a trend as well? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot, you know, um, you know we, we sort of bucket our clients in a few different uh, areas, right? So you have sort of, right, the, the freelancers, but then you also have just people that are, um, you know, that, that that have their own company, right? That mm-hmm. sort of want to live abroad and they have, uh, you know, quite successful online businesses, whether it's agencies or Amazon businesses, et cetera, that sort of just have a remote team, kind of like what we do, right? Where you're just mm-hmm. a business owner, you want to move abroad. Yeah, you could save money on both taxes and co- uh, cost of life, as well as, you know, get to live by the beach half the year, you know, follow the sun, not have to do winters. I'm sure, you <laughs> you know, in Chicago, it could be tough, right? So, um, and and then also, we just have actually people that, you know, end up working working for, you know, the big companies abroad, right? You know, mm-hmm. Intel, um, you know, the banks, et cetera, that, you know, they have a, they, they might go on an expat package, but then they get sort of a localized contract. Mm-hmm. And then they just have to file their taxes too, right? And they sort of work the quote unquote nine to five job. But, you know, the thing is, as an American, you know, no matter where you live in the world, you still have to file your taxes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's sort of a, a couple buckets of, uh, of of people that we sort of target or, you know, customer avatars, if you will. So obviously, in your case, you, you really did figure out that specialization aspect of your business where you're not a CPA for everyone. You're extremely focused on this one group of people, which basically expects that are, you know, US, US citizen who, who would have to file tax in the US, but they are formed a corporation or working uh, basically as a freelancer or someone in, in another country. <clears throat> you happen to fall into that, but talk to me a little bit about that entire mindset of specialization or having a focus as opposed to just yeah. being a generalist to anybody. Yeah, you know what? I mean, listen, I, 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 I yeah, when I, when I saw, you know, when I was in Argentina and I saw that, it was sort of very apparent that, wow, these people actually need help, right? And like I said, I was sort of doing the freelance sort of on the side hustle in New York. And, you know, I, I had a decent amount of clients. I was actually pretty, pretty cheap, you know, too, at that point, because, um, you know, in New York, there's obviously a lot of competition, a lot of tax guys go, going around. Some are pretty high, some are pretty medium or low. Um, and, uh, you know, and I'd have people that would leave me for, oh, this guy's doing it for like $20 extra or, or less, you know, and you're like, oh, I mean, fine, you know. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of too annoying to compete on price. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, yeah, and then with the niche, it's sort of like, listen, there's a lot of, uh, you know, really, really good, you know, American CPAs 
and they just don't want to touch uh, the international stuff. Or if they do touch, they they end up messing it up, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, we end up cleaning up messes. And, and so it is nice to have the niche. And, and I always recommend to new business owners, et cetera, that they should really niche it down. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's it's targeting a specific industry or a specific client, but really sort of knowing your 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 client and 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 yeah and really sort of understanding what they're doing and where they could be found etc and like i said i mean yeah we've you know even within our international tax industry we sort of niched it down with the digital nomad business owners versus the, just the regular expats that live abroad um you know versus also people that are living in the united states but they invest abroad um but yeah i do agree sort of again that niche works yeah, and I think it, it, from a from a fulfillment and and service standpoint as well, you've become almost an expert in all the nuances of that business, right? And you know, yeah. just by com- just starting a conversation, you can already solve their problem because you see this every day, right? You know the yeah. uh, the tax tax you know guidelines and regulations and all those things that apply to that person. You don't necessarily have to go reference a book. Uh, to to figure out exactly what to do. And and the normal CPA that's based in the U.S. that's just focused on U.S. corporations or individuals, they're not going to have all the all the detailed answers of what might apply to them. And then that's where I think yeah. your core competency is extremely critical. Yeah. No, you're right. And then it's also sort of knowing enough about some of the other big, uh, big tax areas to be dangerous, right? So sort of knowing a little bit about the U.K. tax, the Canadian tax side, some of the, the, the more uh, common... Uh, local tax jurisdiction. Not that I'm going to go ahead and, and do a return, mm-hmm. but even just being able to sort of, you know, have some knowledge on a consultation and or know, you know, the the right questions to ask or or or, or how we, you know, can approach a certain thing is is pretty critical. And you're right. I mean, a lot of people sort of appreciate that because, you know, you're just another account that's not going to sort of go uh, go down that path because they just don't know. You know, you don't you, you don't know what you don't know. Right. So being able to at least sort of identify the issues um, in this area is, is half the battle. Exactly. Yeah. And you are you're you're playing that specialist function because, you know, I mean, I've heard stories like, you you know, you can't go to if you want to go see a, you know, a, a cardiologist, you have to probably on a waiting list to get that appointment. But you can go see your general doctor any day of the week and they have open yeah. hours that you can go see. Right. So once you are a specialist, you kind of put yourself on a higher higher scale almost and you have you have the right to even demand a little bit higher fee structure because of your specialization uh, as opposed to mm-hmm. just being a generalist to anybody so obviously yeah, exactly. you've been at this you know for quite some time you know like you said you you started in the the corporate world uh, both on the the lending side and as well as on the the tax and audit side um, and then from there you built this you know this entrepreneurial career uh, you have a team of over 15 that's working with you and I'm assuming they're all working remote if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. Everything, everything's remote. 100%. So you're, you're not, you're not new to this concept of uh, social distancing and working remote at all. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been, I mean, I've, we've been working remote. I mean, even when I've worked uh, by myself, right. I've, I've always sort of been able to, to, to work remotely with clients and now with the team, et cetera. So yeah, it's, it hasn't really been any sort of game change as far as uh, what's going on right now. Yeah, we should we should touch on that a little bit because obviously you you chose that uh, remote workforce model and you've been extremely effective in doing so and you're servicing a lot of com- uh, individuals or corporations that kind of work remote as well. So what what are some of the the mental shifts that entrepreneurs and business leaders have to make when it comes to 
uh, now you're almost forced to work remote as opposed to willfully doing so. What is kind of that the mindset that everyone need to have if you are in the business leader? Yeah, role? I think I think uh, you know there's a few things, right? I mean, listen, it's a lot more difficult to you know maintain a corporate culture and maintain these sort of relationships with with, with obviously employees working remote, right? So a few mm-hmm. things that we've done is one uh, we have a weekly team meeting, right? Mm-hmm. And that weekly meeting is sort of like a like a okay, you know, we have sort of uh, you know people sharing what's going on, you know, me gauging sort of what people are workload workload wise, you know, a little bit of housekeeping on what's going on with the firm. You know, every quarter we have also sort of a strategic, you know, sort of check in on on what's going on with goals and initiatives, et cetera, mm-hmm. as well as a uh, sort of people learning and sharing, you know, what they might have learned this week and 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 you know that sort of aspect. We do we do sort of also. Uh, people doing presentations on their learning. So it's a little bit, it's just a way to 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 to, to collaborate a little bit more uh, mm-hmm. because people are in the office, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other big game changer that that I've done, uh, especially on working remotely, but I think it's good for any business is, you know, having one-on-one meetings, right? So we have one-on-ones every other week with our employees. Um, that's obviously individual. So I have it with a few people. My business partner has it with, with the other ones, um, you know, even some of the managers have it with, you know, other employees. But the point is, is to really gauge, you know, A, how people are doing, um, B, yeah, what's their workflow like? What are, what are they working on? Do they have any questions in, about a particular client? And uh, and also sort of encourage uh, encourage some level of like learning, right? Mm-hmm. So, for example, right now, um, I'm, uh, I'm reading with my business partner and a couple of the other uh, uh, employees about uh, its influence. It's a sales psychology book by uh, Robert Caldini, mm-hmm. right? And that's, you know, and every week we sort of have this sort of check-in or every other week really, but, you know, about, oh, well, like, uh, you know, we, we all, we've both read up to chapter two. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what are your takeaways, et cetera? So it could be something like that. Um, I have a few foreign employees that are taking uh, English pronunciation courses you know, so they can get better at English, uh, like pronunciation specifically, um, you know, so stuff like that, right? To sort mm-hmm. of A, encourage learning, you know, personal development and growth. B, have this open dialogue, um, which, you know, I've, I think is really important. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and C, sort of just have this level of connectivity that obviously you can't have in the office, but you could still sort of maintain that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think those are big, the big things, of course, you know, obviously also trying to track other people's time or people's output is important. Um, and we have sort of mechanisms for that with, uh, you know, our CRM um, and uh, and just our tax software, just to sort of make sure that people are working. I mean, I think the other sort of thing about working uh, remotely is that, you know, yeah, you, there's a certain level of trust and a certain level of like discipline and 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 you know being a you know proactive self-starter amongst employees that is important. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's something that could be taught as much as you have to really identify it. I'm sure you could teach it, but um, you know, let's just say that I've you know I've been doing this for ten years, right? So I'm, I can't sit here and say that you know I haven't had people that have not been able to work remotely because there have definitely been people that you know unfortunately weren't able to handle it and we had issues with them. Um, and we had to let them go, but, um, you know, listen, it's all about getting the right team, right? I think any entrepreneur, you know, the number one thing is sort of, uh, 
recruiting and, 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 and identifying the right people. And, you know, it's almost like there's, there's a really good book called Good to Great uh, by mm-hmm. Jim Collins. And one of the things he says is, you know, you, you got to right identify the right people, get the them right on the seat. bus, mm-hmm. right? And then you put them on the right seat. You know, and for us, it's like, well, we have a bunch of accountants, so the, the, that's their seat. But then we have other people that have come on and we've identified what seats for them. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's that's a big thing is identifying people you think can handle the remote level work. And then and then, of course, yeah, putting it on the right seat. So what advice do you have for people? Let's just say, for example, like some things are, you know, truly outcome or output, right, where you can kind of measure what the what went into it and what came out of it. But there are functions that might be more thinking oriented that may or may not have exactly uh, a specific output that I can measure against, right? So what advice do you have for businesses that kind of have those functions, uh, people that are filling those kind of functions? What would you do to keep accountability and making sure those people are productive? Yeah, I mean, I think, listen, I think I think it's, it's all about sort of, you know, getting the feedback, you know, having these sort of one-on-one meetings and making sure people are sort of on task. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because you're right, you're not always going to be able to, to uh, you know, manage output or, or measure output, but you could always manage sort of, okay, I mean, there's there's ways, there's tools, obviously, manage people's time if you want to sort of have that level mm-hmm. of uh, monitoring, which yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's good or bad. I mean, I think, you know, maybe from the beginning it is until you, you know, earn trust, if you will, mm-hmm. but I think it's also important to sort of have those one-on-ones, even on a weekly basis. Um, to sort of make sure that people are sort of on on track, on task, and uh, and 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 coming in line with your expectations as a boss, mm-hmm. right? Because I think you know one thing is, you know, if you're not there to sort of like you know manage expectations and let somebody know that you expect something of them, then it's not you can't fully blame that person if they don't meet them, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 I think it's the people that there's people that either. When you tell them, oh, you know, you're not performing up to well and they sort of change their attitude, that's one thing. But then there's the obvious other side of it where people, maybe they can't change or they're just, you know, again, not disciplined enough. Mm-hmm. And then that's the other side. And then, you know, maybe that's not the best fit if you're going to do a fully remote firm and you have to, you know, make the tough decisions accordingly. Yeah. And I think, I don't know who actually said it, but people do what you inspect, not what you expect, Right. So you kind of yeah. have to inspect up, inspect and see what they're up to and what they're out, you know, outputting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen. I think one of the biggest changes for us, like I said, was doing these one-on-ones because it really added a level of connectivity and you know management and even sort of you know professional learning and development that was super, mm-hmm. super helpful. So, uh, yeah, I, I would certainly advise on that, especially sort of in in, in a in a, in a business or industry where you 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 can't measure output as much, then mm-hmm. I think the one-on-ones are even more important to sort of manage the expectations. Most certainly. So obviously you've been on this entrepreneurial journey, um, and you have a lot a lot of things you're you're proud of. What what is one thing you would say from all the things that you accomplish as an entrepreneur that that you're saying this is one thing I'm super proud of? Man. Um... You know, I, I, I feel like, um, I had a, you know, just managing a team in general, I think is, is something that's been special, you know, and, and, and managing people. And even I've had, I've had people, you know, employees that have sort of gone on to, to, uh, form their own firm. 
right? Yeah. And even that, you know, some people you could, you know, you could take the approach, well, they're sort of, you know, going and, and doing it on their own, you know, they're kind of competing against me. But I've always felt like it's like a, like a, you know, a, a proud, a proud dad, or, you know, how like you have these like coaching trees in like professional sports where, oh, that person was an assistant coach under that coach. And, you know, this coach has just all these assistants that became head coaches. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's kind of what it is to me. It's like a coaching tree, you know, where it's like, well, these people, they've gone on and, you know, they've done their own niches or, you know, even if they sort of competitive, you know, done something pretty similar to what we do, it's still sort of a, a proudness that, wow, like I've, I've inspired people to go um, and do it on their own, right? Because I think at the end of the day, if people want to start their own business, they're going to, obviously some people aren't going to, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, as long as they do it sort of uh, honestly and ethically, um, you know, I don't have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. And what, what is one lesson you learned uh, from, from like a negative lesson uh, in terms of like something you went through um, as far as like a business experience that you say, wow, that was a tough lesson to learn? I mean, it's funny because it sort of goes with that same, the same, uh, the same, the same positives before. But, you know, again, I had a, I had a former employee that, you know, I think that the, 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 the communication level and the expectation level wasn't, you know, there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then he ended up doing his own firm. And I think that, you know, if we had a better if we had the one on ones back then and we had better communication with each other, mm-hmm. his expectations could have been managed better. And uh, maybe he wouldn't have gone and, and done that. Now, like I said, we're sort of we're, we're actually still very close. And we he doesn't do international stuff. He does more of a, you know, crypto stuff. So it's sort of interesting because we we still collaborate on a lot of things and uh, sort of use each other as a resource. So, um, you know, but at the same time, yeah, there, there's certain stuff that I've learned from from that because I think that communication could have been better uh, mm-hmm. at the time, you know? Sense. So I think that's, I would say that, and I would say sort of, you know, the other side of it, which is, you know, again, people that cannot work remotely or, or you have issues with, mm-hmm. um, you know, getting rid of them or, you know, sort of ripping the cord sooner rather than later. Right. Mm-hmm. I think I've had a few other um, ex former employees that, you know what, we, we, we could have nipped that problem in the bud or maybe got rid of them a little earlier than they, than we did. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just sort of never really developed. And, you know, we just sort of, you know, wasted payroll on a few extra months or six extra months because they weren't, they weren't a right fit for the firm. Yeah. They say that it's higher, slow, fire fast. I think that's yeah. just a, it rings, you know, kind of smooth, but essentially that is the truth because oftentimes, you know, when you're yeah. in, under pressure, you need to fill a role and you're just, you know, you know, you make emotional decision about a person's, you know, skill set yeah. or ability to fill that void. And then only to find out later on that it was a total waste of money and resource. And oftentimes yep. they can bring a lot of baggage that can actually affect the entire organization. Uh, if that yeah. person is not the right fit for the culture as a whole. Yeah, so, no, I agree. Exactly. That, that that mantra, I've sort of learned later, and that and the and the notion of always be recruiting, mm-hmm. right? You always want to have people in the pipeline. It's not like oh, you know, we used to be like, all right, cool, it's after tax season, let's do recruiting now because you know it's we're we're done with taxes. It's like no, always be on the lookout for people. Mm-hmm. Always sort of have people in the pipeline. You know, touch base with them here and there, et cetera. Um, because yeah, it could be sort of a hot, a, a slow hire, or you never know when someone's circumstances would change. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, 
let's just get her on board, right? Depending on what, regardless of what time of year it is. Most certainly. So we're all entrepreneurs. We have a lot of things on our plate. Obviously, you're you're playing a function of a business leader, and then you also probably are doing some of your own practitioner, right? You're you're probably doing some of the tax returns or even consulting your clients. Yeah. So as far as being productive, is there any productivity hacks that you have as an entrepreneur? Things that you do? Is there like a some sort of ritual or something you have in terms of staying productive and making sure that you're not being pulled in so many directions? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think the two biggest things being an entrepreneur are uh, like the ability to delegate, mm-hmm. right? And 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 you know, and, and and focus on what your strengths are, right? And sort of delegate other things. Um, I'm really fortunate because me and my business partner are very very much opposite in our strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So you know, I handle sort of my strengths and marketing and, 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 and that sort of stuff. He does a lot of operations. So we're, we're able to sort of delegate from each mm-hmm. other um, and, 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 you know, and not micromanage the other person, et cetera. So I think that's a big thing as far as being able to focus on what your strengths are. Um, and then just, um, you know, I set aside, uh, you know, different part times of the week for different things, right? So, you know, there's certain days of the week, like today, where I do a lot of calls. Mm-hmm. Then there's other days of the week that, you know, my calendar is completely blocked off, that it's strictly for, you know, tax return review, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think it's more of, you know, bucketing uh, time blocks, if you will, to focus on certain tasks, et cetera, because, you know, it takes a lot of brain power to get into, you know, focus mode, et cetera, to do tax return review, for example, Mm -hmm. versus, you know, doing a bunch of calls. Like that's another, yeah, yeah, you're using other brain power for that. So I think Mm -hmm. it's sort of being able to bucket it. um, Yeah, so on and so forth and sort of allocating different days or different times you're scheduled to uh, to do certain tasks. I think Michael Hyatt, who's a productivity guru, he talks about batching, batching activities or tasks. Um, mm-hmm. So that way you kind of think about and do the same type of things all at once and not have so many competing priorities hitting, a, hitting at you at all, at all times. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I think, yeah. and the time parting or time blocking is another concept that I've seen. I've seen a lot of salespeople do that, especially like prospecting and then, you know, calling and then also just sales calls and things like that, that they just basically break it up into different, different, different kind of blocks yeah. of time. I- I try to do sort of also like the Pomodoro method, you know, mm-hmm. where I'll the 20 sort minutes. of like, say, yeah, 20 minutes. I do about an hour. I'll try, it sort of depends, but you know, I'll try to say, okay, listen, like, you know, let me just sort of focus on whatever I'm going to focus on for the next hour mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and then have that time to, to do it. Right. Cause it's all about sort of like literally just putting everything away, you know, putting your phone in another room and, and, and just, you know, trying to really focus on, on what you, you know, the task at hand, if you will. Yeah. Um, I think, so I've done stuff like that. I, I think the, you know, the, my biggest, uh, I guess my biggest issue is like the, the prioritizing the urgent over the important. Um, so there's mm-hmm. always going to be something urgent every day that comes at you that you have to put out right as a, as a fire uh, that I think just sucks my energy and takes me away from my focused work. And then two hours go by, I'm like, Oh, where was I? Now I just lost focus. Right. That's a, that's yeah. an important issue that I, I am addressing now. So one, one of the closing questions that I have is obviously if you had an opportunity to, to uh, either spend an afternoon with Warren Buffett or you know, someone like him, or you had a million dollars that you can do whatever you want to do with, which one would you choose? 
Mm. Spend spend an afternoon with somebody notable, mm-hmm. of my choice, or or have a or just take the million dollars and do whatever I want to do with it. Correct. Oh. <laughs> I you know what I would I would I would I would probably go. So this is my this is my take on it. I would probably go with the with the take a million dollars and then and then and then do something charitable with it, uh-huh. right? You know, and, and do something to to help a community because I think that a that would sort of, I think that yeah. would make me feel a lot better about it, you know, and 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 and, and you know, not even open doors, but you know what I mean, like make a statement to people. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Be more of like an inspiration on on doing something good for the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and learn from that aspect as opposed to maybe spending an afternoon with somebody. But that's mm-hmm. also my my take on it. But I mean, if I was I would just like if I were to take the million dollars, then it would do something good for the world, not just for my personal. Oh, I want a million dollars. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because that's sort of the notion of, hey, like, you know, do something about it, like make 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 an impact if you're going to obviously be, be be so fortunate to get that. One of my guests told me that. If you have a million dollars, they, they can go to a, a notable person. They might have a charity and make a donation, which will give you an opportunity to meet that person. Right. <laughs> I was I was kind of thinking that route because I was like, well, like, you know, you would basically be able to to, you know, to, to open up doors, if you will, going that route. I mean, you're right. You could basically do that directly. I mean, if you're going to, you know, donate uh you know whatever it is a million dollars to like the bill and melinda gates foundation i'm sure bill is going to give you you know give you some time (laughs) at least if you go to his house in washington do you know what i mean so certainly one one closing question if you had to do it all over again what would you do differently the the whole business journey that you've been on differently um you know what i I mean listen you know there's all there's I'm not going to say that I haven't like done like mistakes, you know, like, I mean, even, you know, like I said, there's a communication issues or, um, you know, initially I, um, you know, did a, I, I hired like a dev team and, and, and did a whole like custom backend for my website, you know, and spent tens and thousands of dollars doing that over the, you know, few years and, you know, essentially scrapped that whole project. So, I mean, these are all mistakes I've done on my business. Right. And mm-hmm. like I said, I've been, you know, it's to the, to the cost of tens of thousands of dollars, but uh, I don't know if I would do it over again. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I mean, I think the, 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 the most interesting part about being an entrepreneur is uh, learning from your mistakes, mm-hmm. you know, and I can't say that any of these mistakes I've done has been, you know, mission critical. Mm-hmm. Like there's not something that I could really look and say, oh man, like I really regret it. Like that changed the course of history. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, there's been times that I've yeah, I've done stuff that I, yeah, I think was not a good move, you know, or I would do things differently for sure, but nothing that's really impacted me where I was today. Mm-hmm. And I kind of appreciate the learning aspect, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's part of that part of being an entrepreneur is, is and listen, some mistakes are costly. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I would totally love to take some of that money back, but whatever, man. I mean, you know, it's just, it's part of learning. And, um, and like I said, it's nothing that's been sort of game changing for me. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Any parting wisdom for our audience? Get a, get a lot of, um, listen, I, I think one of the biggest things I've started to do is have a really good morning routine and read really good business books. 
you know, and get mentorships or coaching, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause you could be really, really, um, you know, real rock star business, but I think it's learning from, you know, like I said, whether it's mentor or a business coach or, you know, podcasts or books, I think that sort of, you know, define you going from good to great, if you will. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and being able to sort of achieve that next level. Mm -hmm. Um, and I do think that sort of, especially books these days are almost like, you know, just a lost art, but a bit, you know, and, but I read a lot. And I think that, you know, every morning I, I dedicate myself to reading, um, you know, about certain things, whether it's recruiting or leadership or sales psychology and, uh, and, and that sort of stuff has really helped my business. Yeah. I have another guest. His name is Steve Warner. He's a business coach and a consultant. And he said, you know, someone's probably 20 or 30 years of life experience is stuffed into a 150 page book that he's giving right. you a fast lane to success. You, mm -hmm. It's foolish for you to go spend, you know, not to go spend $14 and buy that book and get his knowledge and wisdom and try to take one nugget out of it and try to apply it in your, uh, in your business or life. Um, yeah. Because somebody had to go through that experience. Why would you want to go through it? Because he already did. You might as well just, right. you know, extract the wisdom and knowledge and apply it. You know, and he yeah. said he, he reads one book a week, essentially, from yeah. from his high school days. Uh, he said yeah, he found yeah. more value in reading books than actually going to college because he said there was more that he was able to teach himself than any, any you know, ever learning from sitting under any professor. Yeah. So he did and I, I agree with that. And I was going to say, I mean, one of the things when I meet other entrepreneurs, and now I'm going to ask you the question, you know, I always ask them what has been the most impactful book on your business? And sometimes I'll maybe say, oh, well, I want to find out something about recruiting or mm -hmm. culture or whatever, you know, building a team, but like, you know, really finding out what's, what's an impactful book. So I'm going to ask you what, what has been one of the, one of your favorite books that you've read or things that you've, yeah, that, that, that you think has been impactful or helpful think, to you? I think good to great was definitely one of the, one of the books, yeah. uh, Jim Collins. And I've also, um, there's so many other entrepreneurs that I, I mean, books that I read and mostly I just do audible. I just get the books yeah. on online and just listen to them on audible. And, uh, yeah. and then sometimes I do like two X the speed and then I go back and re-listen if I found, you know, something in that book that was even, you know, even more, um, impactful Then I, I would go re-listen to some of those books. Yeah. But yeah. You know, and I, I think the book, the traction um, that's another book. Another it's one, an extremely sure. good, good book for anybody who's yeah. an entrepreneur learning about yeah. why you need to have systems and process and things like that. And I've, uh, you yeah. kind of mentioned you and your partner. Like I think there's in every entrepreneur, they're either a visionary or a, an implementer. So you, mm -hmm. you always need like a, a partner or somebody who's actually going to help you. If you're so much of a visionary, you don't necessarily have the skill set of execution, but all you have is yeah. great ideas and great vision. But you have you need to have somebody else who can come alongside and kind of get you to the next level. Otherwise, you get stuck in your in your in your track because you can't make yeah. the momentum and progress that you need as a, as an entrepreneur. So those yeah. are those are some books that I found to be extremely effective. And then basically, at least do self reflection of see who you are, right? Um, and then be yeah. able to make the changes you need as an entrepreneur. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I I definitely agree with traction. I think traction is one of the the biggest sort of game-changing uh, books that I've read and, you know, we've gone through and, and implemented sort of just what are our core values. And it really is sort of the baseline for, for, for culture and, you know, even for hiring, right? I mean, even mm -hmm. every time we hire somebody, 
you know, I go through and, I, you know, they have the offer letter and yeah. I get on the phone and I say, you know, these are core values and sort of go, go through them mm-hmm. um, to make sure that they're on board. And, you know, if they end up not being on board um, later, then, you know, that's sort of another reason to, to, to you know, potentially let that person go. That you know, score. so. Uh, yeah. And having that whole scorecard um, card for the department or for the individual, everybody has a number, which is something that traction mm-hmm. teaches you in terms of. How do you measure someone's uh, productivity and output and things like that? And then also, like you said, not just the culture core values, but also like, do they get it? Do they want it? Do they have a capacity to do it? Right. So you can have the person who may have a capacity, but they may not get it or they don't want it. Right. So then if you don't have, I think the traction and also I think good to great kind of have similar concepts. Um, Yeah. Just, you know, Jim Collins talks about, like you said, is, you know, do I have the right people in the right, right seat? Right. And then I think, Mm -hmm. uh, and then then traction kind of teach you methodically, how do you do that? Right. And tactically, how do you execute it? So I think it does a good job in kind of helping you to to implement things that I guess uh, Jim Collins teaches in theory. Yeah. 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 No, I I agree. Traction is good for that. The other one, actually, I just started reading too. I actually just read it. It's actually pretty pretty uh pretty short book um and has a lot of actionable advice is is um uh who this is the a guide to recruiting it's by jeff smart no and it's a very you know it's a recruiting book right and Mm -hmm. it it basically talks about how do you you know sort of identify a players Mm -hmm. um and uh and really just goes through the the process right where you sort of yeah you you come up with a, a hiring scorecard right of sort of you know not only well, who you're looking to hire for, but sort of, okay, well, what are the objectives of that, you know, and, and trying mm-hmm. to quantify the objectives of, of that role. If they're a salesperson, they're going to, you know, do X amount of revenue or make X amount of calls per week or month or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, really quantify these goals and then sort of, you know, go through the, the, the traits that's needed, um, you know, for this position Mm-hmm. And then you sort of, uh, you know, you have like a, a screening interview that sort of asks some very four basic questions about career goals. What do they do good? What do they do bad? And really trying to sniff out um, who's in quote unquote A player versus like a B or C player. Mm-hmm. And then the next the next interview, um, uh, sort of the in-persons, you know, you're really just more going through their uh, their work experience mm-hmm. and trying to identify at each place, you know, again, asking the same sort of, you know, a couple questions about sort of what did they do? What would their old boss say about them? And really sort of trying to sniff, sniff out. Yeah, like I said, you know, who's going to be a, a player? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a good book. It's pretty actionable. Um, we just started implementing it. So I can't tell you uh, from experience. If it's uh, work, but that mm-hmm. sort of, you know, it was, it was recommended by a few other entrepreneurs that I asked uh, about, and um, and I like their approach. Mm-hmm. So next time we talk, we can compare notes. See how, awesome. see how. Yeah, certainly. Well, I really yeah. enjoyed our conversation. I appreciate you taking the yeah, time likewise. to join me on this call, uh, and I look yeah, forward totally. to staying in touch and hopefully coming across our our path when you're back in the states. I know you're in yeah. Colombia now. In Brazil, yeah, I think yeah, you said yeah. now. Yeah. I'm in Brazil now, but I, I spend most of my time in Colombia. So, yeah, sort of given the fact that I do the expat tax uh, business, I, I also uh, you know, end up living the expat tax <laughs> life. So, sounds sounds awesome. Life. Yeah. Awesome. Well, listen, yeah, stay safe and warm out there. You too. Take care. Talk to you soon. All right. Thank Cheers. you. Cheers. Bye. 
This episode of Coffee with Closers is brought to you by One IMS, a leading digital marketing agency helping businesses win new customers. To request a free marketing ROI audit, please visit oneims.com. If you enjoyed this video, please share it. To make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe.